going back to that idea of positive thoughts and negative thoughts and how it affects performance, I wish it was just like, oh, have positive thoughts and everything will be great. Um, but in reality, there's a whole sector of things that we call influencers, which influence your energy and your ability to actually think positively or think negatively, feel positive or feel negative. And one of those influencers is physical. So it could be sleep, nutrition, um, if you're experiencing any injuries or uh, health issues, that's the physical component. There's a social component. Who are you surrounded by? Who's talking in your ear? Are you being supported? Are you being put down? Um, there's an environmental component. What's the weather like? Is it freezing? Are you playing in the snow? Um, and so there's six components. And if those are all over the board or if they're not you know, at levels that are most helpful to you, that's certainly going to influence your ability to think and perform. Hello and welcome to episode six of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. I am a speaker and lead trainer with the Pinot Training Group, where we work with teams and organizations looking to create powerful, positive, peak performance team cultures. If you are interested in learning more about the trainings, workshops, and keynotes we offer, please head on over to PinotTrainingGroup.com or connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Bobby Audley. Since the last episode dropped, those of us here in the United States have seen our lives impacted very seriously by the coronavirus pandemic. For this reason, my update this week is more of a plea. Please listen to the professionals in your area regarding this virus and heed their advice. Take this thing seriously. Even though you might be a young person in great health, going to a packed restaurant or public gathering will allow the virus to continue to spread. I am not a healthcare professional, but as I have come to understand it, the less people that have this thing, the better. If you are not worried about yourself, Please be concerned about others. Do not be selfish with this. Those who are elderly or in poor health need us to stay home. Social distance yourself. Do your part to stop the spread of the virus. I understand it this way. If you go to the store for something essential that you have to go get and you get the virus from the cashier, while unfortunate, that is a reality of life and it is just passed between you two. It can then certainly be spread to who you come in contact with, but it is still a limited number of people and you can be intentional about who you come in contact with. However, if that cashier goes to a bar on St. Patrick's Day filled with 200 plus people and 100 people there get the virus from that, this is going to spread in a much more massive way. Don't be selfish by going out. If you are in an area like mine here in Maryland that is recommending you stay home. Let's come together by staying apart and defeating this global pandemic. After all, in listening to this podcast, you are a part of a community of listeners that spans 50 plus cities in 20 states here in the United States. It also includes nine countries, including, of course, the United States, as well as Canada, Sweden, Belgium, Kenya, Nigeria, the Dominican Republic, Azerbaijan, and the Ukraine. We are now more than ever in the history of the world, a global community. Let's think and act accordingly to stop the spread of this virus.
leading the way to stop the spread of the virus has been the NCAA and professional sports leagues who have suspended their tournaments and seasons. As a lacrosse coach and fan, I was, of course, shocked and sad to hear the news, and I wholeheartedly support it. And that doesn't make it easier for the athletes and coaches impacted. All day Friday, I was on the phone texting and calling coaches and athletes we work with simply to see how they are doing. Sports is a lifestyle and an emotional investment for so many of us. Yes, there are those impacted far worse by this virus, and that does not mean someone's plight or challenge is not valid and does not need our attention. For this reason, during today's episode, we talk about the emotional investment of sports and most importantly, the mental side of the game on and off the field, on and off the court, as as an athlete and as a coach. I recorded this episode weeks ago, and so we do not tie it and the concepts we're talking about to today's current situation, and I know you can connect those dots. My guest today is life coach and mental skills coach, Amanda Clements. Amanda works with athletes and performers at all levels of the game, from youth athletes to college athletes to the Washington Redskins. As a mental skills coach, Amanda has partnered with Maryland Sports Performance, a firm led by renowned sports psychiatrist, Dr. David McDuff. In the first 10 to 15 minutes per usual for this podcast, Amanda explains in her own words what she does and how she serves athletes and coaches. We talk about what a life coach and mental skills coach is, and Amanda shares her belief that at the root of any challenge is your mindset. And the question you must ask is, do I like my mindset? If the answer is no, do you want to change your mindset? If that answer is yes, a coach might be right for you. As so many of the athletes and coaches we serve at the Pinot Training Group embark on unchartered territory of a season without sports, or if you are a non-athlete and are embarking on a month or more without your outlet, your hobby, your art, your business, having your kids at home from school, not being able to go out, whatever it might be, whatever you might be dealing with right now, I thought hearing from a life and mental skills coach would be of service to you. Please enjoy my cup of coffee with Amanda Clements. So my first question is straight up just what tell tell us what you do and and what that looks like when you do it because okay. I think a lot of people could hear the title and still not in the same way with my job and still not really right. get what it is you do. So what do you do? How do you do it? Who do you work with? Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, so that is a loaded question. Yeah. Um like you said a lot of people even from my title which is technically life coach and mental skills coach Um, people still don't really know what it is. So I work with athletes and performers. I work with all sports, all ages, from club club level up to professional. Um, And I work specifically, insider tip, life coaching and mental skills coaching are actually the exact same thing. Okay. Um, I just present it as different things because it makes more sense to potential clients. Do you, so you actually, like on your website, it's presented as two separate services, is. life coaching and mental skills yes. coaching. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is I will get calls from clients who say, oh, you know, life is great. I'm happy all the time. I feel balanced, no stress. 
but at games I experience anxiety so I need the mental skill side and then some people will say oh no games are great performance is great but my life balance is all over the place I need the life coaching side so to outsiders it seems like two very separate things and they connect to that easier and understand that easier um, in reality both sides life coaching and mental skills coaching really comes down to our mindset that we have learned throughout our entire life and how that's dictating how we respond to and interact with situations people life um, so it's making that mindset more conscious allowing clients to become aware of what their mindset is and then allowing them to rewrite it in a way that helps them get towards whatever they're working towards and how do you is it's one-on-one -on -one? is it is it a small group how do you work with people it's changed over the years um i do one-on-one -on -one. i work one-on-one -on -one with athletes and coaches and i've even done parents as well um, parents of athletes, of athletes. Mm -hmm. yep. you know they've got a lot of questions of how should i support my athlete am i saying the right thing am i doing the right thing so we work a lot on that um, small groups as well, as well as full teams where coaches and athletes are included. And when you're working with parents and coaches, I guess, is it, is it focused on performance at that rate or is it simply focused or what's it focused on? What's the focus when you're working uh, with Depends. Yeah. Um, for some coaches, their main concern is their own career as coaches. This is where I want to go. How do I get there? For some, it's I'm having a hard time, you know, communicating with each athlete. They're all so different. How do I manage that? How do I get the best out of my athlete? How do I handle it when they're struggling? Um, for parents, a lot of it is I, I'm supporting them and I'm cheering them on and I'm trying to call them down, calm them down after performances, and they just yell at me and they get mad. <laughs> Am I doing the right thing? Am I saying something wrong? So with parents, it's mostly how do I support the athlete. With coaches, it could be how do I support the athlete or how do I grow my own professional career. Yeah. So how did you? I, I wanted you to do that intro because you're because you're really good at it. You're really clear on what you do and how you <laughs> should much you. better than I could do it. And <laughs> and and but I do think it's so. We'll get back to kind of who you work with mm -hmm. and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, I I think it is important at this rate too to say how did you get into this? How did this? become what you do yeah a very very winding road so my entire life growing up um, I was an athlete I was a gymnast for 17 years and competed at the division one level and so I when, when did you start gymnastics when I was in kindergarten five okay. years old yeah. and then competed until I was 21 yeah um and then at that same time, my entire life, I thought I was going to be a spy. That was my <laughs> dream job. I was going to work for the FBI, then the CIA. I was going to be the secret spy. And everyone in my life knew it. That was the plan. <laughs> so in college, I studied criminal justice. That was the closest thing I could find that made sense. Um, and then between junior and senior year of college, I had an internship with the FBI in Baltimore. And about two weeks in, decided this is not what I want to do. <laughs> Um, but finished my degree. I enjoyed the classes. I really enjoyed, you know, school at Towson and then found the first job I could, which was working in DC. Um, oddly enough, my client was the FBI and I was doing construction management, building out their offices. So were you using your criminal justice degree with that or you just, it just happened to be a job? The only thing that worked was that the internship I had with the FBI got me a top secret clearance. So then when I was applying for jobs in D.C., 
this construction management firm saw that I had a clearance and said, oh, we need that because we have a client that's the FBI. So that was the connection. Okay. Other than that, I had no experience in All construction. About the yeah. yeah. Um, but they said, if you're willing to learn, we'll teach you whatever you need to know. So I did that for four years, but during that process, you know, I was 22, 23, I was making money, I was living in the city and going to happy hour. I was like, God, life is so good, it's so fun, um, and was just excited every day. And in contrast, had coworkers and, you know, clients and things like that that were miserable every day. And it was, when is it gonna be Friday? Oh my God, the weekend's too short. I can't believe it's Monday, like this is miserable. And in the back of my mind, it was always like, if I had a job where I could just help people figure out what makes them happy and help them go and get it, that would be my dream job. And one day I heard about life coaching and I thought, you know, I don't really know what that is, but I'm, I'm meant to do it. I know I'm meant to do it. So I just happened to tell our HR manager, you know, I'm looking at this life coaching thing. I'm thinking about doing it. And she said, oh, we can pay for you to go. And this I was is at like, your job in D.C.? Yeah, my job in D.C. Or company, yeah. Yeah, so wow. I said, well, this has nothing to do with our work. And she said, no, you know, everybody gets a, a stipend that they can use per, for personal development. Um, so they paid for it. I did a year-long training. Um, when it was finished, my first clients were my coworkers, the HR manager, you know, everyone had their own thing they were working on. And I think I was charging them like $30 <laughs> to meet across the street at the coffee shop and, and try to help them talk through life situations. Yeah. Um, and at one point, my at the same time, I was going through this struggle with, you know, finishing my athletic career because at the time that's what gave me the identity. And now two, three years removed from that, it was this whole yeah, I'm doing this life coaching thing, but I don't have sports anymore. I'm not an athlete anymore. It was this big struggle for me. And a coworker said, hey, that could be your niche. You could help athletes transition out of sports. And I thought, oh, my God, yes, that's exactly what I'm, what I'm going to do with this. Um, and now, eight years later, I've yet to work with an athlete that's actually retiring <laughs> out of sports um, because nobody wants to think about that until it, they're really in the thick of it. Um, but along the way, it kind of shifted to this mental skills aspect, which I never thought I would do. You know, I was, when I was a gymnast, I was nervous. The entire 17-year career I had, every meet, I couldn't wait till it was over. I was freaking out. I had jitters. I, you know, got really wobbly during my performances. So now thinking that I help athletes. Yeah. Did you ever work with a mental skills coach or trainer? You know, there was, I had one session my senior year of college um, with a renowned sports psychologist who happens to be a family friend. Um, I don't know if I could share this, but he was Tiger Woods's mental skills coach prior okay. to Tiger turning professional. Yeah. Um, so he certainly knew what he was doing. Yeah. We had one session over the phone that I think lasted maybe 20 minutes or so, um, which you know entailed some breathing exercises and visualization. And that was at the very beginning of the season, my senior year of college. And I had the best season of my life. I ended like at the highest point of my career. I had never been so calm and confident. Um, After 20, and did you continue the breathing practices throughout the season or it, was you attributed just to that 20 minutes? On it the phone? was that what he did over the phone 
he used the breathing exercise to trigger a certain mental state of just calm and clarity. Mm-hmm. And after that session, I was able just to tap right into it, even mm-hmm. with just like a single breath or just choosing to be in that calm, clear, like mindset. And then once I was in that mindset, my routines just really took care of themselves. It is fascinating. I, when I was in high school, I had exercise induced asthma and my 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 sister had and still does like like asthma that she's gone through the same mental training i have uh-huh. and still has it so it's not this is not a statement that all asthma is cured <laughs> by what i'm about to share but my dad had a feeling that maybe mine was not related to whatever causes asthma but was more nerves because uh-huh. i was definitely a very nervous player. I was always a very confident kid, but I'd get on the field and just wouldn't take risks, wouldn't take chances, mm-hmm. would get worked up before the game. So I'd go in and I actually met with a medical hypnotist and wow. he did a, I think we did maybe a total of three sessions. It was definitely not more than that of in, in a, in a hypno, hypnotic trance. And, mm-hmm. and my dad had, had done some hypnosis, hyp, hypnosis when we were younger for same kind of thing, mental training, peak wow. performance. So I was used to it. And and he created a key, which was representing my asthma, and we threw it away. And and that was it. Wow. And I was on a nebulizer. I was taking albuterol. I was doing uh-huh. it all. Advair was another thing I'd take in the morning. And I just stopped taking all that medicine after that. And what made me think of it was you're saying kind of being able to plug back into it. Mm-hmm. He asked me while I was in the trance or whatever it's called would you like the ability to tap back into this and i said yes and he said i'm gonna you know tap your right foot right now uh-huh. anytime you tap your right foot from here on forward it'll calm you oh, and how interesting to this day i mean that was when i was in high school i can still and i and i, I meditate and you know I'm, I've, I've done hypnosis since then so uh-huh. again you're pr- practicing this i think matters right and but it's true like i'll before i'm i don't get stage fright but there's definitely a moment before i go out in front of a crowd of 1500 uh-huh. where there's there's a little jitters <laughs> oh, yeah. and so if i tap my right foot it, it calms me and so it's fascinating because people will say when i tell this story they'll say what three sessions three sessions mm-hmm. right and it's like yeah, kind of, mm-hmm. because it's not just three sessions. It's then implementing the strategies, the practices. Through, and if I could meet with him every week, that'd be fantastic. But I, I, I couldn't. Right. And so it, it became something where I'm practicing as I move forward. I love that. Which matters. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. And yeah. that's a huge piece of what I do. And, you know, so many times I'll hear from coaches or parents and, you know, time is a huge restriction for a lot of them. It's you know, whether it's the parents running around to pick up kids from school, drop them off at practice, take them to dinner, or the coach who has a full-time job during the day, then they go to practice. There's just not a lot of time. And when they initially reach out, they say, well, can you just come in one day and do a presentation? And I say, sure, I can. But, you know, without someone reminding you and reinforcing it throughout the season, I'm telling you right now, it's not going to stick. It's going to sound really great when you hear it. And maybe a couple days after, you'll still be jazzed about it. Um, But it's like anything in sports, the conditioning, the tactical, the plays, you have to be constantly taught and reinforced in practice. I'll say that to coaches. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I, just before we hit record, I got yeah. a text from a coach saying, you know, we're signing on for multiple sessions. And right. I, 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 I intentionally really push that because I want to come in for multiple sessions and help the team really grow and develop in what we're teaching. And, and, and 
it's kind of the the notion of I'll say to coaches, you know, could you imagine if if you just practiced once and then <laughs> right. just took on the season? Right. You know, you'd never do that. You practice uh-huh. some, these coaches practice six days a week if they can, mm-hmm. and and it's the Zig Ziglar joke of leadership training is like taking a shower if you only do it once a year you're gonna stink but i'm trying and and the, it's probably it's the same as true for mental training for 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 all this stuff mm-hmm. um it matters so you so you so you had that 20 minutes in college that maybe you know an introduction before you even knew it was an introduction into kind of this idea you start you do the life coaching practice mm-hmm. and you said to start life coaching mental skills is really the same thing, but it's mm-hmm. how you attack it. It's how you how you how people understand it. Right. So when you started working with athletes, because mm-hmm. you were working with your your colleagues uh-huh. for thirty bucks at the coffee <laughs> yeah. shop, when you started working with athletes, did your did you have to frame it differently in your head, or did you see that? Did you realize you know what I've got this life skills coaching or life coaching uh-huh. training, and it, quite frankly, it's bringing those same skills to an athlete. It was. So a few years after I became a certified life coach through my coaching school, um, maybe even four or five years later, they came out with another program that was specifically life coaching for athletes. Okay. And so I already knew I wanted to work with athletes, so I went through that program. um, And when I came out of it, I realized, oh, this is like a mental skills piece. This Mm -hmm. is dealing with performance anxiety and confidence and goal setting and and what am I focusing on throughout the season and throughout competitions. I was like, this is kind of mental skills training. So that's when I started to present myself as the two, the life coach and the mental skills coach. And at the time, I thought they were separate. And I would even tell coaches, you know, they overlap, there's a gray area, they're intertwined, but these are the two different things I do. And it wasn't until a year or two into actually living the life as mental skills coach and life coach when it just dawned on me that I'm doing the exact same thing with every single client. Whether we're working on life balance or performance anxiety, I am teaching the same things, I'm doing the same things. And again, at the root, it's identifying what is my mindset? Why is my mindset this way? How did I learn it? Do I want to keep it? Is it serving me in any way? Or do I need to rewire it and, and change it to something else? And how receptive, and, and this this is a leading question as well, because mm-hmm. you work with, uh, you've worked with the professional football team, you mm-hmm. work with semi-pro women's football team, you right. work with, uh, what's the youngest player you'll work with? Youngest I've had um, is nine years old, nine actually. Nine years old, mm-hmm. middle school, high school. Yep. So you're, you're all across the board. Right. Um, my question is how receptive are athletes specifically? So not parents or coaches, but how receptive are athletes to these ideas? And and I lead with, with who you work with because maybe it's different from the <laughs> uh-huh. nine-year-old to the, the professional. Sure. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. Sure. Um, it is different. Okay. Um, everyone is certainly different. I'll give you an example. I'm currently working with a 14-year-old male basketball player. And from the beginning, his parents said he doesn't want to work with you. I go to his house to meet with him, and every time his mom answers the door, she says, he's miserable. He doesn't want to see you, but please come Come in. in. (laughs) Um, And he ends up doing great. You know, he ends up slowly. Why are they working with you? Did they, the parents initiated it? Yeah, the parents initiated it. And his particular um, focus that we're trying to work on is, and this is something I'm actually seeing a lot, is he is a super high performer in sports, in multiple sports, um, very naturally high performer in multiple sports, naturally high performing in school. And he has developed this mindset 
um, that is very unconscious to him, but this mindset that if he's not the best or if he's not perfect, then that's horrible, that that's like devastating. So he'll have a practice that to anybody else looks great and there'll be one moment where it wasn't so great for him and he latches onto that and then afterwards it's emotional meltdown mm. and then that spreads of course to his family to his parents things so like how that. are you how are you helping him so we're z zeroing in on that mindset and getting him to realize that not perfect is not good or bad you know it's just a mindset that you have learned by being so good, by having a life where you get a lot of positive feedback, you're getting the honor roll, you are, you know, getting top performing awards and you're getting gold medals and you're, so all of that in your mind has been building, building up and so now you believe that if I'm not good, people will be disappointed. Mm -hmm. If I'm not the best, that must be, uh, you know, I don't have that unique part of me anymore. I'm losing my value. Does he push back from a place of, of the way that I am might be stressful, might piss off the people around me, but it's also created these results in my life. So there's a sense of, I don't wanna change the way I am. I do ask, you know, is this something you feel like you have to do? Something you feel like serves you? Do you feel like this is helping you achieve results? Um, and even being 14, he says no, because, you know, he says it's, it doesn't help. Mm. And I said, after, let's say you have the worst game of your life. Afterwards, how would you want to feel? How would you want to act? How would you want to interact with your parents on the drive home? And he says, you know, I really want to be normal. I want to just enjoy the ride home and move on. So once we can plant the seed of what he actually wants, then we can start, like you said, it's practicing. It's okay, the last meltdown you had lasted 48 hours. Let's see if we can cut it back to 36, mm -hmm. you know? And then you do that, let's see if we can cut it back to 24. And you just train and make it a conscious choice until it, your brain actually rewires itself and realizing, realizes this meltdown that I'm having doesn't serve me and it's a choice. Mm -hmm. It's something I'm choosing to do so I can choose to do something different. And do you, Maybe not with the, you don't have to, with this particular situation, but I mean the parents are obviously a part of. I'm not blaming them, but they're a part of creating this in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And so, how do you coach the parents in that moment to help the kid as well? Sure. So after sessions, if I'm meeting with the athlete one on one, the parents do get notes, and I do provide suggestions on things they can hone in on. Um, what's actually been really valuable is there's a few times where the parents will sit in on the meetings, um, which is the choice of the athlete. If they're a little too nervous to meet alone, they want their parent to be there. Um, and, and it ends up almost being like a family counseling session, mm -hmm. which I'm not a counselor or a therapist, but the parent will say something or chime in with something. And it gives me the opportunity to then address their mindset about sports. Um, and I've, never met a parent that did not want the best for their child and did not come from a pure place of love for their child, but they don't realize how a lot of things they're saying or focusing on um, is creating more stress for, for the athlete themselves. Well, that's, I, yeah, it's hundred percent. When you think about this concept of the overbearing parent of the parent who, and I'm not saying this is these individuals you're speaking right. to, but um, you know, I, uh, another interview I did was with a, uh, a friend of mine who runs a club lacrosse team, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so he talks a lot about how the parents are pushing their kids because the parent looks at the kid and thinks, wow, the kid doesn't know 
what he or she wants. Mm -hmm. And of course, they don't want to do what's hard or uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. or they don't want to put in the grit, right? Right. And so as the parent, it's my job to push them and make them better. So it comes from a place of love. It comes from a place. And maybe... There, there are kids out there that that works for, mm-hmm. and they become the 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 big the, the the star someday. And so we look at that and say, hey, it worked for them. You know, Tiger Woods right. is a great <laughs> example. Uh, it worked for them. So because uh-huh. I definitely, as a kid, have have had had moments of like, you hear the Tiger Woods story of his dad pushing him, mm-hmm. and while it sounds miserable. My stupid brain was like, yeah, but he became Tiger frickin' Woods, (laughs) so maybe it's worth it. Uh And I think that is an interesting, you know, especially now as an entrepreneur, I can take on some of those traits at times too. Doing things I absolutely don't want to do, Mm -hmm. but knowing it's going to get me where I want to go. And there's a balance there with the world of sports where in the end of the day, it should be fun. It should be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't stress you. School shouldn't stress you out Mm -hmm. at a level where you just, you have meltdowns and can't handle it. Right. You see this a lot? A lot. When I say a lot, I mean, I can't like emphasize that enough. It really is particularly, you know, in this area, we have such a high level of competitive club sports, high school sports, college sports. Um, we both live in case whoever's listening yeah. to this, so you know, we both live in Maryland. You live in Annapolis. I now. live in Annapolis. I live yes. in Columbia. We are uh, Columbia, at least where I live, is is twenty minutes south of Baltimore, mm-hmm. forty minutes north of Washington D.C. Annapolis is thirty minutes east of of right of, of yeah. Columbia, really. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, it is a high performing type A go 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 kind it of is. area. What what struck me about this area because I grew up in upstate New York is. I can think of maybe three private schools in upstate New York, and mm. and I'm I'm sure that's wrong, but that's what I can think of right. from growing up there. And my my understanding is the reason people would go there is because they wanted a smaller class size. My graduating class was like 800 people, oh, wow. so they wanted a smaller class size. Then you get down here, <laughs> and it's like there's 800 private schools. Yeah. I coach at a private school in DC, uh-huh. and and so I, I I'm not I'm not scoffing at the private school culture but there's a ton and and you go there for either the sports or the academics Mm -hmm. you go there for performance you go there to be the best so it definitely definitely is a part of the culture down here this high performance oh yeah absolutely and it's you know even something as simple you know getting back to the stress that these athletes feel you know something as simple as an athlete having a subpar performance or their team loses or whatever they whatever it is and a parent saying it's okay you'll get it next time and it's again let me try to encourage my kid let me try to make them feel better you'll get it next time what we're actually telling them is hey winning is important so next time you'll get it you know next time you'll achieve what you're supposed to achieve mm. and unconsciously athletes performers and really anyone in life starts to learn that the outcome is what's important And then that's when we develop the fear and anxiety of failure because it's like, well, what's going to happen with the outcome? Am I going to lose? Am I going to make the cut? Am I going to make varsity? Am I going to be picked up by a college team? It's the outcome that's important. And when we're kids first starting out, it's the fun part. It's the process. It's like, oh my God, I get to run around all day. I get to see my friends. I get to kick a ball or flip or whatever it is. The process is so enjoyable. And that's why so many athletes see success really early and then struggle later on is that shift from enjoying the process 
to worrying about the outcome. And so it's now my job to go in and reprogram the brain to focus on the process. It's totally okay to want a certain outcome. In sports, you always wanna win. You always wanna get to the tournament or the championship or the next level. Absolutely, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's what we're focused on, then we're gonna be creating anxiety and tension and worry. Versus if we're focused on, okay, what can I do today? What's the next step I wanna work on? What type of teammate do I wanna be? How do I wanna enjoy myself? When we focus on those things, then one, we enjoy the process more, but two, we just naturally are more successful because there's so much less tension and worry. I think that's brilliant. That is so true when you're a kid. You you are yes you want to win you're competitive but mm-hmm. it's the process that you're having fun with it's the pickup basketball pickup mm-hmm. baseball type of thing of just just kind of screw, or making up a game that doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. but you're just you're just out there playing absolutely what so well and which makes you know you're thinking of the car ride home there's John O'Sullivan who wrote the book Changing the Game Project he has a great podcast that is fully focused on all this kind of stuff uh-huh. and he wanted i don't know if he said it or if it was one of his guests it was in his book that the best thing you can say to an athlete on your way home is i love watching you play exactly i just enjoy mm-hmm. and so i i work other than coaching a middle school team i work with college athletes primarily uh-huh. and when i first read that i thought well that's not relevant for me <laughs> and and then and then i got into the thick of a season with and at that time i'd really only worked with teams that were successful, believe it or not, like some of our early teams. And I always say this to people, the fascinating thing about it is we do team culture development, Mm -hmm. leadership training. And our earliest clients were some of the best programs in in the in the world of college <laughs> sports and people are like how'd you work with them i'm like they're the ones that said yes right like they're the ones that wanted training they're the ones that don't ask the question do we need this or why do we need this they they just they want the edge they value that level they value the culture they mm-hmm. value these conversations so that was really powerful for me early on and because of that i was working with successful teams so even if i wanted to say the outcome doesn't matter i got excited <laughs> by the outcome right. the team's doing well in the end you get wrapped up in I send regular weekly emails to the programs I work with or text Uh messages. I call the coaches. All our conversations were focused on the outcome. Sure. And then I end up having, as as we get better and Uh we have more clients, you're not going to work. Like they're just numbers are what they are. We work with a lot of soccer teams. We're going to have some (laughs) that aren't winning at the end. Maybe they had a great season, but they don't. They don't make the tournament or they don't Mm -hmm. win their conference. And now all of a sudden I'm challenged to send a positive email for a team that has lost, has not played well, has not done well. Mm-hmm. And and when I would talk to the coaches, I would ask them, not that I can't be negative, not that I can't call, but I, like, how's the culture? That's all I really mm-hmm. care about. That's when I came to appreciate that. And so I'd ask the coaches, like, I know the outcome wasn't what you wanted, but how, how is, how's the team doing? How mm-hmm. is the culture? How are the relationships? And they would say great things, awesome stuff. And so that's when I realized like, okay, so what we're doing still works. And my email would simply be, it's been fun to watch you this season. It's been fun to follow, especially if it's a team from afar that I'm not really watching on TV or in person. I would just say that it's yeah. been fun. And what's amazing is how much the athletes appreciate that. I started getting emails back, text messages back. Just saying thank you. Appreciate that. Love that. Which might sound little, but I wasn't getting that before right. when I thought I was trying to just add so much value and, and send this, okay, you won. Now here's the next level, next level, next level. Right. When sometimes we just want to enjoy 
Yeah. Enjoy the process. Yeah. Enjoy the moment. And that's, Enjoy what we're creating. You know, one way I really, one, get my athletes to start doing that is, you know, we'll come up with a worksheet and we'll list out characteristics, what they think characteristics of a high-performing athlete are. Um, and that's not performance-related. It can't be like, oh, you score X amount of points or you're top of the roster. It's encouraging others, um, positive attitude, focus, hard work and effort, and we'll list those things out. And then they have to grade themselves after each practice on how well they exhibited each behavior. And we do it on a red, yellow, green system. So if they were really good with that characteristic, they put a tally in the green column. If they were really terrible that day, they do a red, and somewhere in between they get a yellow. And the idea is not to have everything in green all the time, but to have most in green, a little bit less in yellow, and a little bit less in red. And as they start doing this every day after practice, every day after games, they start to understand that these things are really important. And then at the same time, I'll have coaches and parents specifically start shifting their language to, hey, I saw you cheering on your teammate. That was amazing. I saw you help that opponent stand up after they fell. I saw you, you looked really focused today, that was great. And we put, we changed the language to focus on those process things, those characteristics things, versus, oh, you only scored X amount of points, or oh, you guys, you know, didn't do so well, maybe next time, you know, we shift it towards character and process. And what is the balance with focusing on the character and the process and also, because I, I, I'm sure coaches listening are going to think, and... <laughs> Like, can, what can I, what can I say from a place of performance from a play or is, is it timing? So you just get done with the game team played horrible coaches in a mood uh -huh. players come off the field. Are you like, yes, I agree with you. Like that coach should be focused on the process of things and the character. Let's focus on that. Mm -hmm. And when does the coach have the performance conversation? Is it there? Is mm -hmm. it later? Is it ever? When does that come up? Sure. So, an, you know, another level to this, which is, you know, a message that athletes and teams are getting throughout the process of me working with them. Um, there's a concept, and, and a lot of people might know this, is that, you know, our thoughts or our mindset create our emotions, and then our emotions determine how we act and how we perform. So in general, at a very basic level, a positive mindset creates positive emotions, and then those positive emotions not only change how we act, you know, we're cheering for teammates and we're excited and we feel good, we also perform at a higher level. And that's because positive emotions physically relax muscles, it changes blood flow and breathing, so physically we perform better. And then the same thing on the other end, negative mindset creates a negative emotion, which equals lower performance um, and, and different actions. So something I teach throughout this is what's called a stress reaction. When things are going great, most of us are on, on the positive level. We, we're thinking positive things, we feel good, and we're doing good things, we're performing well. Suddenly, whether it's mid-practice, mid-game, the outcome didn't go what we wanted to, uh, we have a stress reaction and we drop to the negative level. And suddenly, it, we're upset, we feel terrible, whatever it is. Um, and it's about how long are you going to choose to stay at that level? Like the one client we talked about, sometimes it's 48 hours. It's just constant focus on that one thing that didn't go right, and we stay on that level for a long time, and then it affects the people around us, and then it affects who we talk to, and then it affects other areas of life. So practicing spending less and less and less time there. Um, and that comes down to, for a coach, after a game, if you see your players 
work incredibly hard. They did what they could. They tried their best and you didn't win. Focus on the process. I saw how hard you worked. That was incredible. I'm so proud to be your coach. Um, You just can't win them all. You Mm -hmm. can't. You know, if you perform your best and you were beat, you were just beat by a better team. And that's, you know, the types of games you want to see. If you're seeing your players not perform, they're not trying, they're focused on themselves, I'm not getting enough time, so I'm going to sit on the bench and pout, and I'm not going to cheer for anyone else. You know, I mean, I would be mad if I was a coach. I'd be very disappointed in behavior like that. And I'm, I never tell anyone you're not allowed to feel upset. You're not allowed to get mad. You're not allowed to get frustrated. Absolutely do that. Express it in a healthy way. Communicate it in a healthy way and train yourself to, to move back out of it. You know, after a game, if you felt like your team really didn't try that hard, they really didn't care, let them know that, that you're yeah. really upset about that. And, you know, you, you expect more. Yeah. And then talk about, you know, performance, whether it's the next day at practice or whatever it is. Um, but again, it's focusing on the process more so. Yeah, well, we always say positive energy is not the denial of problems. It's mm-hmm. the acknowledgement of problems and acknowledging we can be a part of the solution. We can be a part of moving right. forward. We can be a part of getting better. We really hammer that with teams because when we talk about positive, negative energy, and we get framed up as the positive energy people, right? <laughs> right. And, and it's like, yeah, sure, great. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean we never challenge you. That doesn't mean we never call you out. That doesn't mean we don't hold you to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. None of that is in contrast to positivity. And what I do like about what you said is is also this idea of, you know, maybe the performance stuff does wait until practice. It mm-hmm. does wait until the next day because in the moment you're so I, I just watched uh, the uh, college women's soccer cup mm-hmm. just happened. So UNC, did you watch the game at all? I did not. UNC played Stanford and it went into double overtime. No one scored a goal. So oh Stanford God. Is, had a phenomenal offense, number one offense in the country. They got a couple players that can just tear to the goal every time they get the ball. And UNC is a phenomenal program right. that that has what they did is they, they just had four players back and they just had a beast of a defense uh-huh. that wasn't letting anything go through. Great coaching on both sides, great performance. And you end up having, with that, you end up having an outcome that is a, a full game with no goals, mm-hmm. two overtimes, no goals. It goes into PKs. And in PKs, it's anybody's <laughs> game at that, right? That. Yeah. yeah. And and so Stanford ends up winning. And when Stanford won, they go nuts. Sure. And UNC, the players are just bawling their eyes mm-hmm. out. And what I thought of in that moment is we see athletes cry when they lose. And the first time I ever thought of this is like athletics is a super emotional thing. Mm-hmm. Super emotional thing. The, something these players probably dreamed of for their entire lives, mm-hmm. a, a, a huge crowd, ESPNU, national television, you're battling back and forth. PKs are emotional. It is, oh, it is sure. one-on-one, all this stuff. So in many ways, you look at them crying as sad, and sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure it is. And at some level, it's just a release of emotion. Stanford right. gets to release the emotion in excitement mm-hmm. because they win. UNC is forced to release the emotion in tears and, uh-huh. and what looks like sad. And in reality, it's just a release of emotion. Mm-hmm. And so when you're 
when you have a, a player who's done with a game who walks over to the sideline and listens to a coach and then comes on the other side and 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 if it's a bad game you got all these parents saying good game good game that <laughs> used to piss me off <laughs> as a player and and when we didn't play well and then right. you get in the car and and parents want to have a rational conversation about this right it's just it, at some level it doesn't make any sense right the coach in that moment trying to coach doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. like it, we're in an emotional state let's handle the emotions and then tomorrow let's let's deal with the performance right let's come back to it at a later time in a different emotional state and address it then yeah mm-hmm. my other my other kind of uh, tangent off of this was mm-hmm. when you work with um professional teams mm-hmm. including the the semi-pro women's football team yep. uh nfl that is more classroom based right That's yes not, so what do you what do you do there what do you what do you do in that type of environment so, when someone brings you in to work with the whole team yeah so well with the nfl specifically i work with the washington redskins um and their rookie class okay so they're bringing me in each season the last couple seasons to either teach classes specifically on mental skills where i'm just given freedom teach you know your work teach them whatever you want to share um teach them about performance anxiety now that they're at a much higher level with a lot more attention on them how do they handle that um and sometimes they give me specific topics to teach which are league mandated so it could be stress management decision making things like that so with the NFL, so far, it's been a situation where I come in, I'm in their meeting room, the rookie class is there, and usually a team representative, and it's, you know, a 30 to 45 class of sorts on, you know, teaching specific concepts. Um, with the women's team, I've had the chance to work with them for the entire season, um, and this year, even more so, the coaches are going to be involved, I'm going to be able to work with coaches so that they're on the same page, um, and it was mostly... One or two where we were in the classroom doing an extended class. Um, and then in between, it was once a week, right at the beginning of practice, I'd do a five to 10 minute presentation on a specific topic for that week or that game, or in response to something that happened the week before, you know, like fights break out in between players, whether it's teammates or opponents, or um, we didn't do well and the bus ride home, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of tension. So I'll respond to situations or, you know, address upcoming games. And throughout the season, they're getting messages over and over and over again. They're practicing it over and over and over again. And last season, I have to say, I was hugely impressed from the first game to the last game. The big change I saw was the sideline conduct. Very first game, as soon as something didn't go well, everyone kind of spread out. They pouted on the sides. They'd sit by themselves. They'd ignore their coaches. Last game of the season, they didn't win. This was to make it into the Super Bowl, actually. They didn't win, but the entire time, down to the final second, it was just constant. We got this. Stay focused. You're still doing great. You're working hard. Stay focused. We're in this. And that change for me was huge. Mm -hmm. And what was even more interesting was afterwards, I was talking to the owner, and he was just devastated. And he said, we didn't do what we said we were going to do. You know, we didn't do well. The season like, the season didn't mean anything. I'm like, <laughs> whoa. Like, I walked away so, like covered in goosebumps. I was so excited. You know, not everybody changed, but a huge portion of the team. It was very, you could feel it. It was very palpable. Um, I was like, I saw a huge change. Mm-hmm. And when he heard that, he was like, huh, all right. Okay, I see what you're saying, but it was that idea of 
the outcome is what gives us value. The outcome is what determines whether or not this was a successful season yeah. versus how the athletes grew. Well, on a very specific, I, so my first interview for this was with Harry Swain, who was mm -hmm. the director of player development for the Ravens. And, sure. and in that interview, he says that specifically in sports and his frame of reference is football as well. If you have one, there's one outcome that you're happy with. Mm -hmm. That's it. If you go to the Super Bowl and lose by a point, you are a failure. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, that is it across the board within 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 professional sports. So it is a fascinating world where, um, so which kind of leads to so that's an owner's perspective. Mm -hmm. You did talk about earlier how you do work with coaches and 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 maybe you haven't worked with a coach at, at that level, but you've worked with enough coaches sure. to kind of think of this question of. You know, because the LA Times just did an article about mental health for coaches in the NBA. I don't know if you saw that. No, I did came not. Out like two days ago. Uh -huh. And we're just, because mental health is a priority. The NBA, some of the players, Kevin Love, have come out and talked about their mental health challenges. Right. So it's becoming a sport that kind of leads in that way in terms mm -hmm. of talking about it. Well, now they're saying, what about coaches? What about the lifestyle of a coach? Can you imagine mm -hmm. 80 games a year? You're, you're, you're working over the summer as well. Holidays, uh, team to team to team, city to city to city, all the things, the lack of sleep. Did you see the sleep study? There's I've a, seen several sleep yeah, studies. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Yeah. But the NBA did uh -huh. a, a, a showed how the players – are the, the effects that lack of sleep is having on mm -hmm. them because they play at night mm -hmm. and then they go to the hotel and they're 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 fired up you know right. they don't have the ability to i can't go to bed after a day of like leadership training right. these guys are playing to a packed nba stadium can't go to bed get on the plane the next day maybe sleep on the plane nap a little bit here and there when they land then play again over mm -hmm. and over and over and over and over and again. mlb players there's research on the same thing because their games are at night they play a lot of games as yeah. well when they get home or they're traveling late, they, they might have a couple of drinks. Like you said, they're still drowsed. Yeah, yeah. Or during the game, there's tobacco or there's all these substances oh, they're sure. using in addition to the lack of sleep, in addition to the constant travel. Um, and the stories I've heard at that level with stress or players who literally can't see straight because of the anxiety to perform well when they're exhausted. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty scary. Is the answer just, and I'll get back to my coaching question for those who are recognizing that I go all over the place, but uh, <laughs> um, is the answer simply get more sleep or is, or do you teach them strategies? Sure. So going back to that idea of positive thoughts and negative thoughts and how it affects performance, I wish it was just like, oh, have positive thoughts and everything will be great. Um, but in reality, there's a whole sector of things that we call influencers, which influence your energy and your ability to actually think positively or think negatively, feel positive or feel negative. And one of those influencers is physical. So it could be sleep, nutrition, um, if you're experiencing any injuries or uh, health issues, that's the physical component. There's a social component. Who are you surrounded by? Who's talking in your ear? Are you being supported? Are you being put down? Um, there's an environmental component. What's the weather like? Is it freezing? Are you playing in the snow? Um, and so there's six components. And if those are all over the board or if they're not, you know, at levels that are most helpful to you, that's certainly going to influence your ability to think and perform. Mm -hmm. So for teams where I do have the opportunity to really work over an entire season, we can delve deeper into those types of things. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm.
going back to the original question, when you work with coaches, mm-hmm. um, what does that look like? How are yeah. you supporting, serving, or is it is that no different than when you work with athletes in terms of the life coaching side of things? You know, it really is no different. Yeah. Um, it's the same concept. It comes down to your mindset and how that affects your actions. I've worked with a lot of coaches on the sideline conduct. So if you, you know, are in a game and you have refs or officials that in your mind they're not being fair or, you know, they're making things harder for you, anybody would be upset by that, you know. Anybody would start to yell or start to maybe even cuss or what it is, start to take it out on their players. Their energy and emotions completely change. Um, But if they understand how that then is affecting how they're coaching, how they're relating to their players – um, how that's relating to the officials. The officials aren't going to start being nicer to you the more mm-hmm. you yell at them. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that idea of why am I really getting upset? Is this really helpful? And if not, what are the strategies and concepts to, you know, not doing such training myself to have a more calm demeanor or, you know, talk to officials in a way that, you know, they're actually going to listen and, and things can be corrected. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. It's just like athletes you know, can find flow and performance and peak performance. Coaches perform, you know, their ability to make calls and call plays and clock management. If they're off their game, that's not, their performance is not going to be good. Yeah. So training mindset techniques so that they can go into a game and perform at their peak as well. That's a hundred percent true. I, I, last year was my first season coaching middle school uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I've coached before at the junior college level and high school and some stuff, but it's like, it's always been, assistant coaching whereas mm-hmm. i'm the head middle school coach. big deal <laughs> that is and, a big and, deal and uh and it hit me the first game what that means <laughs> because you are it's talking about finding flow mm-hmm. you you're you are the one making decisions you know right and i had an assistant coach last year during a pretty tense time who was like we like we need to call a timeout and i was like great timeout <laughs> we bring him in and he looks at me and he goes what do you got like what do you mean what i got you're the one who called the timeout and he's like you're you're the head coach and it's just i was that i recognized i was not in my flow mm-hmm. i am not i love coaching middle school and that's probably where it'll stop because I don't think I'm a great coach. I think I'm great at what I do uh-huh. for teams, but I like coaching. I, it, that is, there's so much happening. Oh yeah, it's so much to think about, so much to consider. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're talking about prep. You're, you're, you know, the, the scouting report and bringing that into the fold during the game. It's just right. there's a lot going on. There is yeah. a lot, and you know, like you, you know, you have another job. You're busy with other things. That's not your full time job. Right. Um, so there's other things in life. You've got family. You how do you know? help? How do you? That was my other. Mm-hmm. How do you help coaches with the life side of things? Like even because even if even if they're they are a full time coach, there's so much. It is a lifestyle mm-hmm. um, that that you know. It's kind of the notion of the coach's wife or the coach's husband, mm-hmm. but it's so true. The friends that I have or the clients that I'm really close with. Their their kids aren't showing up to games just because they really want to support them. Right, they gotta go somewhere. Right, and so <laughs> it, it, it really is. It's a lifestyle coaching mm-hmm. more than most nine to five jobs. Right, so, so it's first and foremost getting a clear picture of the life they want. What are they not happy about as far as life balance or whatever it is? I'm missing my kids' birthdays or, you know, I'm missing all the school events because I have to be here. So identifying what they would like to change if they could um, and then finding out if they really have the power to do it, not 
power as in do they have the energy and motivation themselves, but maybe they've just never asked, hey, can I come in 10 minutes late so I can do this with my family or can I leave a few minutes early? Maybe it comes down to, you know, a mindset that they've, again, learned through their life that if I'm not here, you know, before the players and if I'm not here after the players and if I'm not here on weekends, then I'm not a good coach, then I'm not going to be successful, then people aren't going to take me seriously. They don't think I'm in it for the right reason. So if those are your mindsets, if that's what you believe is truth, that's going to affect every decision you make. Um, if you identify a mindset, like if I'm not here before the players and, and if I don't leave after the players, that's not good. If you identify that and then say, hey, there, you know, there's not a lot of truth to that, I can show up early, sure, or stay late, but I don't necessarily have to do both. Or some of this work I can do at home, you know, in between doing family things. If you can identify it and shift it and then move forward, um, ideally, that's what we try to do. If it's really a matter of, no, I can't change this. This is what my schedule is. This is what's expected of me. This is what the team wants. Then it's about that acceptance of, okay, I want to coach. I'm lucky to have a family that's supporting it and wants me to do it as well. I just have to accept that, you know, during this part of the season or this part of the year, this is what my life will look like. Yeah. And then the other part of the year, this is what I want to do to try to make it's up. It's kind of like it. that. Um, you can either change your what you're doing or your expectations, mm-hmm. sort of thing. You can change if you don't like, if 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 you're coaching, getting there before the players, leaving after mm-hmm. the players, nights, weekends, holidays, birthdays. If that's causing stress within you and in your social relationships and your family, mm-hmm. then you got two options. You can. You can quit. Mm-hmm. You can find an easier job. You can do something different. If that doesn't sound enticing to you, then change your expectation. Right. If you are going to be a head college coach or a head elite high school coach, then then you are going to miss some of those birthdays. And someone's honking outside. <laughs> right outside the window. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we wear these headphones, so we know <laughs> it's caught. But you can change. Uh, they don't need us to. This is not our space. We're not ignoring the honk outside. This is a co-working space. <laughs> um, but uh, so you can change. You either change what you're doing or you change your expectation and mm-hmm. say, you know what? I'm making a decision that... You know, and that doesn't mean you're a bad spouse, bad father, bad mother, bad whatever. Right. It's just it's it's different than maybe you expect because you can't have it all. Right. And I think there are a lot of people out there that are stressing themselves out by just trying to have it all and sure. making it all work. Mm-hmm. So so in changing that expectations is really how I would say changing your mindset, identifying a mindset that's not serving you. You know, if your focus is. I can't believe this is my lifestyle. Oh my gosh, I'm not getting sleep or I'm missing this event or I'm running around. I'm stressed. If that's what you're focused on, you're going to feel stress and anxiety. If you then change your expectations, as you say, or change your mindset and your focus and you say, wow, I can't believe this is the job I'm doing. I'm so excited because I'm setting my family up for success or my family is secure because of me. I love working with these athletes. I love pushing myself professionally. You focus on those things your emotions are going to be completely different. How you mm-hmm. feel is going to be different and how you interact. You know, if you already have a stressful schedule at work and you're feeling stressed about it, when you go home, that's not going to help the time you spend with your family. But if given the same schedule, but when you come home, you're excited about what you did, that's going to now help the, the time at home far more enjoyable. Yeah. 
So if someone's listening, coach, parent, player, uh, and what is the ideal working with you or someone like you, Mm -hmm. a life coach, a mental skills trainer, what is the ideal relationship look like? Do you have like it's six sessions, 12 monthly, weekly? Mm -hmm. What is the ideal situation? Ideal for you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ideal for me is just long term, whatever that means. Um, I do leave it up to my clients, given their schedule restraints, budget restraints. It's up to them. I don't require a certain number. I don't require meeting a certain amount of times. Um, but I knew, I do know at this point in my career, I can confidently tell them the more we meet and the more regular it is, the more these mental skills will become a natural part of your life um, and the more success I see. Not just sports success or performance success, but just emotional success, the peace that parents and children are now experiencing they feel good around each other and they learn they know how to talk about things now you know even that is so huge regardless of the performance piece um so ideally i if it's a team sport ideally i'm working with the whole team um because i've been in so many situations where i'm working with just one athlete one-on-one they learn all this great stuff they practice all this great stuff and then they go to practice where their teammates and coaches don't know it and then they have a very hard time, you know, following through with it because, you know, they, they're almost alone in it. Um, so team sports, ideally I'm seeing the team at least once a week and we're reinforcing things once a week and giving them things to practice once a week. Um, and then individual sports, I do a lot of dancers and gymnasts and things like that. You know, one-on-one is totally fine. But again, the more regular, the more consistent, the mm-hmm. better. So how do people find you? How do they reach out? Um, yeah, stuff? so I've got my website. My company's called Beyond the Game, um, and it's btgcoach.com. I love that name. Thank so you. Cool. So uh, <laughs> that is um, my company. And then I also partner with a company in Ellicott City called MD Sports Performance, which has another psychologist and psychiatrist in the practice. Do you ever ref- like? Do you ever have clients that you might refer to them, saying like you could benefit from a psychiatrist, psychologist? Yes. So when I first do consultations with athletes or parents or coaches, um, I really hone in on the idea that I'm a mental skills coach. And yes, it incorporates psychology concepts and things like that. But I am not a psychologist or a counselor or a therapist. Um, So if there is an issue that sounds like to me from the beginning or as I work with the athletes, something that just seems like I'm not equipped for this, um, it's really nice to know a sports psychiatrist or a psychologist or a counselor, and I will gladly refer them to someone that I think could provide more support than I can. Yeah, my Mm -hmm. wife is studying to be a counselor, Mm -hmm. and so I I know... We we both are learning. Obviously, she's learning the differences between that counselor, therapist, right. psychologist, psychiatrist, and life coach. Even mm-hmm. is a part of that web. And I think so many people out there don't know the difference and don't know. Another reality is we people don't necessarily. So for her, she's going to be a child counselor, mm-hmm. and a lot of people will say, "Well." kids what what are kids need to go to a counselor right and and i I had a hard time with that for a while because we're thinking wow like i thought we were talking about these conversations Uh i thought this was out there but then you realize from a personal basis my belief is people still don't talk about it in terms of hey like you know what are you guys doing tonight oh i'm taking the taking my son to his counselors therapists whatever Mm -hmm. and and maybe they shouldn't you know maybe that's not fair because the kid is going through something right um but 
but we don't talk about it enough where you might read this and I don't even know what they are. Maybe you know, like the statistics of how many people see a counselor, a therapist or a psychologist and, and you'd read it and say, I get, I don't know what they are. And I guarantee if we were to read it, it would look bigger than we think it is oh, Be- sure. just because people don't talk about it. And right. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't, but that has been interesting for us because when, when we talk about, uh, with people, what she wants to do, uh, People don't even have a concept for it right. if they haven't experienced it. Right. People, the only people who get it from our experience, will people will say, "Yeah, I, I saw like when my parents went through a divorce, mm-hmm. I saw a counselor, mm-hmm. or or whatever it might be." Right. And another piece to that is even if they don't know exactly what the title is or what it means, they still might have a feeling about it. Um, you oh, know, yeah. that basketball player I talked about who just hates to meet with me. One of the very first things I asked him was, what do you think I do? And why do you think I'm here? And he said, you're a therapist and mm. something's wrong with me. Oh, wow. And so getting him to understand that I am a coach and this is what a coach does. This is what a therapist does. You know, this is what a counselor does. Getting people to understand what that means um, and then removing that label of that must mean something's wrong or bad. Um, you know, I'm having a, a big struggle for me when I was building my business was Mental skills coach is is still a pretty new concept or a new phrase. And so when athletes need help with mental skills or performance anxiety or whatever it is, they just instantly search sports psychologist because that's the only phrase they've ever heard Mm. as far as helping the mental side of sports. Yeah. Um, So now that I'm attached to a sports psychologist, I'm easier to find. Yeah. You know, very few people, I I think with as far as mental skills, it's mostly baseball players right now that are using that phrase. It's becoming very common in that sport. Um, but I'm often not found for that reason unless they find me attached to the psychologist page because no one knows a mental skills coach is different than a sports psychologist and how they're actually different. And that's a big part of my marketing to teams and schools is providing a letter of what do I actually do, what does it mean, and how can I help your programs? Yeah. We, mm-hmm. we used to... when. We were focused less, more leadership development was really mm-hmm. how we started. And when we we started working with athletes with the leadership development framing, everyone thought we were sports psychologists. Uh-huh. And when they found out we weren't sports psychologists, they wondered why we didn't have the credentials to be doing the work we were doing. And I was like, well, we're not psychologists, so right. we're in the clear. And, and, and that's when... I was actually a coach we were working with that pulled me aside and said, you guys, like, yes, you do leadership. He goes, but this is really, you're building a stronger team. You're mm-hmm. doing team culture. And so as a coach, you pointed that out to me and, and you know, listen and adapt. And so uh-huh. I started saying we do team culture and it made much more sense. It made more sense to sports psychologists. I had sports psychologists who I knew who were saying, right. oh, yeah, we, we, I got teams that could use some of that. Right. You know, so it is you know, there's such a, people like to put things in boxes. Mm-hmm. They like to understand it as here's the sports psychologist and they do it all. And right. The sports psychologist is the first to say, no, we don't. Right. There's like you said, with your, with your partnership. Yeah. He, like, a, you know, a huge reason. And his name is Dr. David McDuff. He's, he's renowned. right down the road. Isn't he's, he's right Alicant down City? the yeah. road. Um, he's been working with professional athletes for 20 some years. Um, he was one of the founders of really pushing mental health departments within professional sports teams. Um, but his issue was he was so overwhelmed with work and so many of his clients did not need that psychiatry or psychology piece. So once we got connected at the time, I was only using the life coaching title 
and he he didn't understand it. He was like, "What does that mean? What does that mean for athletes? What title do you what you know? What do you work on?" He didn't understand it at all. And then once I started to realize it was really mental skills training, then he felt like, "Oh, I've you know I've got clients I can absolutely pass on to you who don't really need the deep expertise that I have, um, but do need mental skills help." Mm -hmm. And so that's when that partnership kind of formed. And then like I said. Anything that's beyond what I can do, I can refer back to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. It's been very helpful for me. That's super clarifying. Mm -hmm. I'm glad we got into this Good. conversation because Good. I think there's a lot of people in the world of specifically sports and peak performance that those those lines are not easily defined between sports psychologist, life coach, and anything mm -hmm. else that's out there. And Mental if, skills. Yeah, yeah. And if you want kind of a visual, imagine you know, watching, let's say, a football game. On the sidelines, you've got a head coach that's doing a lot of the tactical work. You've got position coaches. You've got a defensive coordinator. And they all have different roles. Just imagine a mental skills coach standing there. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a part of the coaching staff that's coaching a specific part of the sport um, versus a psychologist that's, you know, going deeper into things that deal with what's going on in sports but not necessarily part of the day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll say this before we wrap. So the, the, the theme of the show is 50 cups of coffee. Mm -hmm. And I think I wanted to say this earlier, so I'm glad I remembered. Um, I think our relationship is a great example of 50 mm -hmm. cups of coffee. The reason I'm doing this podcast is because after my TEDx talk, I've had a lot of people asking, well, what do I talk about? Or who do I reach out to? Right. Or why? Like even, even in this podcast, I'm get, people are asking. I've been I've interviewed some really cool guests, you included, oh, and people you. have continued to say like, "How do you know these people?" Right, and I'm like, "The coffee, <laughs> yeah, like that, that is how I know." And I think we got first connected. Was it through LinkedIn? No. So what happened? From what I remember yeah. is I was um, I met someone randomly or reached out to someone randomly at a co-working space in Baltimore. Um, yeah, because was, I thought, well, you was know, it Sean McElroy, was he, he was, uh, yes. yes. And yeah. he said, Oh, I met this guy, Bobby. I don't really know him, but you guys sound similar. You both want to do sports stuff. Yeah. I bear, I think I had just met him. I yeah. met him once. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but he suggested we both had talked to him recently. Yeah. And so he said, Oh, you both are kind of into sports. You guys should meet. And then you were actually the one that suggested Dr. McDuff, which then, was my original oh, connection? Yeah, was, because oh, I, I had looked look into him. that. I never knew that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, because I, I, I remember I had looked going back to the conversation we just had. Mm -hmm. I had started looking up sports psychologists locally. At the time, I thought maybe that was a route I wanted to go, right? Because I was getting coaches saying, right, you don't have the certification, you're not qualified. And Dr. McDuff was the first psychologist I sat down with who said. Don't like unless you want to <laughs> yeah. unless you want to be a psychologist. Don't be a psychologist, right. and and so that was clarifying for me. Yeah. So, I, so then I introduced. So you. you told me about him. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of him. So I kind of reached out, said, this is what I'm doing. Um, and he had never heard about life coaching in sports before, which is why he brought me in. Um, and then we had a whole conversation. Our relationship developed, and then that whole piece of my career took off, which is thanks to you. Yeah, that's Which was cool. thanks to a random person in Baltimore yeah. who suggested your name. Yeah. Well, yeah. what I love about the story is, it, it people will ask me, "How did you meet so?" And maybe mm -hmm. even this. Maybe my dad was like, "You know, who are you interviewing tomorrow?" And how'd you meet? And it's like, 
I feel like after I describe it, they're more confused than before. <laughs> but that's right. kind of the reality of it, mm-hmm. you know. So this can be that story. I usually end by saying, do you have a cool 50 cups of coffee story? Do you have a cool story of just a, a connection you've made from from this kind of stuff? Is there anybody, like, I mean, you've been connected to some some cool places mm-hmm. uh, in professional sports and, and, and college and you name it. Uh, I, I wish I had a cool story as far as the NFL goes. Yeah. That was really just a direct LinkedIn. You don't, ha- don't have to be that yeah. cool. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, with the women's team, I used to play for them. So yeah. years later, they brought me back because of that. But I think kind of one of those weird backward stories was my gymnastics coach growing up, you know, all through middle school, high school, he raised me in gymnastics. He owned my gym. We've had a relationship my entire life. He now has a daughter who does high school sports, um, not gymnastics, but high school sports. And so he ended up as president of the boosters at her high school. And then someone asked him, oh, you should bring in, you know, people to talk to the boosters about different topics. So he brought me in to talk about transition from high school to college for athletes, what that means. Um, and that was great. You know, I talked a little bit about what I do professionally, but most, mostly focused on that transition in college. And then a year later, get a call from a parent who happened to be at that meeting who said, my daughter's on volleyball. I think their team needs a lot of work and then ended up coming in and working with their program. So, you know, to your point of 50 cups of coffee, it is really powerful. These small connections you make or even didn't realize you made, Mm -hmm. you know, but people see you and hear you and, and connect to you on some level you know, come back in ways you would have never known. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so I much, Bobby. I appreciate it. I learned a ton from you. Appreciate and, that. And uh, I'm grateful you said yes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. This is a journey that started with a TEDx talk back in 2016. And I am excited to share my 50 Cups of Coffee with you in 2020. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe wherever you are listening. We will launch a new interview every Monday. Please give us a rating and leave a review if you are so inclined. It means more to us than you know. And connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Bobby Audley. This podcast is a production of the Pinot Training Group. To learn more about the work we do with teams and organizations, please check us out at PinotTrainingGroup.com. And please remember... Help us stop the spread of the coronavirus. Let's come together by staying apart.